0: Good morning. It is March the fourth. Get your marching music ready. We will march forth today. Um, all right. So that's a yeah. Paul's gonna get us some marching music. Paul, oh yeah. You're gonna get, a, you're gonna get us some marching music. Right, oh yeah. So yeah. let me lots of music. Let me start. Let me start with this question. Uh, where in the word are you today? And then let me add uh, to whom or with whom are you reading it? So it's one thing for you and I to be in the Word of God and for the Word of God to be getting into us, something that I view as essential, absolutely a basic essential to the Christian life. But the secondary question is, with whom or to whom are you reading it? So, you know, a lot of debate of late surrounding uh, Dr. Seuss, particularly uh, a handful of books that uh, I'm guessing you've never read and wouldn't be able to identify by title— um, nor could I, because they're not among sort of the regular Seussical library. Um, but the entire Dr. Seuss debate has actually um, sort of lifted up a deeper conversation, and that is a conversation about how are our, are our children being catechized. Someone is catechizing our children. They are being catechized by someone. Their minds, ideas, hearts, character are being shaped By what they hear, and yes, by what they read, and yes, by what is read to them. So let's be the people who read to them, read with them, and supply them with genuinely good books. Yep, starting with the best book of all, the good book itself, the Bible. So when was the last time you read the Bible to a child, with a child? Um, You can actually use the Bible as a, uh, a tool in equipping a child in not only literacy, but obviously worldview. So it's a little challenge today in the where in the word section of our conversation. Uh, Congress is not in session today over security concerns at the U.S. Capitol. So what's going on? Well, uh, apparently some segment of the American public believes that former President Donald Trump is going to be inaugurated today because March the 4th and dates surrounding it. And so this is going these concerns continue over the next couple of days. Um, is the historic dates for American presidential inaugurations. So let me just say this. Um, If you if you are among this, um, this group, stay home. That's it. That's what I got for you. Uh, A little parental guidance here on Mornings with Carmen. Um, This is not the March 4th um, mandate. Stay home. Uh, Okay, now you can tweet me, you can at me, you can text me all those good things. Go right ahead. Just stay home. Okay. Uh, however, before they recessed, the U.S. House of Representatives did, did pass sweeping voter rights and ethics legislation. This happened last night. Uh, it would be the most comprehensive revision of U.S. election law in at least a generation. It's called House Resolution 1. It restricts partisan gerrymandering in congressional districts. It strikes down uh, what are described by some as hurdles to voting. Others might call them, um, you know, standards in terms of being sure that the people who are voting um, are citizens. Shines light on campaign finances, which in my view would be a very good thing, and touches on nearly every aspect of the electoral process, some of which would be helpful, some of which I think um, is going to just create greater challenges for people Um, having their voice heard in the electoral process here in the United States. It was passed last night by a nearly party-line 220 to 210 vote in the House of Representatives, and obviously we have to see what happens next in the Senate. Meanwhile, in Myanmar, people are literally dying in defense of their nation's democracy, uh, which was replaced last month by a military coup. Pro-democracy demonstrators have returned to the streets today. Let's be praying for them. They have been undaunted by the killing of at least 38 people on March the 3rd by members of their own country's military security forces. And so let's be praying ardently for the situation and the people of Myanmar. Um, All right, let us march forth. Ben Johnson is up next.
2: Is my right, a right given by God? To live a free life, to live
0: in freedom. All right, joining me now, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can find what he is writing at acton a c t o n dot Ben, welcome back.
1: Good morning. Good to be with you.
0: All right. There are a number of um, of Senate confirmation hearings underway. Um, The administration has uh, has pulled one nominee already. Um, But we have Xavier Becerra continuing to be um, in his hearing process. Tell us what's going on there and why we should talk about him often.
1: Yeah, Xavier Becerra. Of course, the nominee to head the Department of Health and Human Services, Uh, HHS, of course, is uh, the organization that came up with the HHS mandate, forcing everyone to uh, pay for potentially abortion-inducing drugs as well as sterilization and contraception, even if they have a religious uh, objection to providing that service. Becerra was on the front lines making sure that any kind of religious objection would be completely removed from the law. He sued the Trump administration when they tried to uh, shelter the Little Sisters of the Poor. They had a conscience exemption to that. And he led the Supreme Court case all the way up to the Supreme Court, trying to make sure that nuns had to violate their conscience and provide contraception and, again, potentially abortifacient drugs to fellow nuns and their employees. Uh, now, Becerra was, uh, before the Senate Finance Committee yesterday, the vote came out dead even, 14-14, which is precisely what we would have expected in such a, an evenly divided body as the Senate right now with a 50-50 split. Uh, since it, it wouldn't matter, if, of course, you can you can still proceed with a candidate, even if they lose in committee, but uh, Becerra is, is, is extremely dangerous for a number of reasons. First of all, he doesn't believe that the First Amendment applies to churches. We talked about that last week he believes that uh, the first amendment applies only to individuals so you have the right to religious liberty and i do but if we join together as a church we both lose that right somehow so the church body is something less than uh, the the sum of its parts but he also of course uh, has been an an abortion extremist uh, he voted against a partial birth abortion ban as you noted in the hearings uh, 2 weeks ago he was he was asked very point blank is there any exemption to abortion, any legal protection for the unborn child, whatever, that you would support? And he couldn't name one. Uh, even even the idea that a child born alive deserves resuscitation and medical attention is something that's beyond his idea of compassion for the unborn, and in this case, for the born. Uh, we're not merely dealing with unborn life, we're dealing with a child outside the womb, struggling for life. Uh, so that's, that's an extremist view, uh, to say the very least. And uh, the way that he's used his prosecutorial discretion is highly concerning. Uh, of course, David Daleiden and Sandra Merritt were the people who exposed Planned Parenthood. They had the undercover Planned Parenthood videos where Planned Parenthood not only talked about potentially illegal uh, trafficking in human organs, but also what sounded very much like breaking the partial birth abortion ban in the way that they performed the abortion, specifically to harvest those organs, got it all on tape, and the state of California, from uh, from which Becerra hails, prosecuted Daleiden and Merritt. When uh, Kamala Harris, who initially uh, pressed those charges, was elevated to the U.S. Senate, Becerra took her place, and he made sure that he furthered those charges against Daleiden and Merritt. So he's been extraordinarily aggressive against the pro-life movement, uh, he also tried to have an act uh, against pro-life women centers, uh, telling them that they had to have a sign essentially uh, demanding that they refer women who come to them for abortions so uh, that was compelled speech the supreme court has struck that down uh, the supreme court says you have no right to compel someone to say something against what uh, their wishes are and that's well established constitutionally but he in his prosecutorial discretion decided to take the case against the pro life women's centers anyway so that's that's the sort of mindset that uh, he would have uh, what kind of what kind of thought process would that bring into hhs which deals with so many people who are on the front lines of faith church groups and uh, religious organizations? How would he uh, use his authority? And how would he hand out federal contracts? And what sorts of conditions and writers would he place on those who do not want, and because of their conscience and their religious beliefs and the Ten Commandments, cannot participate in things like abortion and abortion referrals?
0: All right. HHS.gov does have uh, a faith-based and neighborhood partnership office. And if so, if you are so inclined, that might be a good office if you're listening today and you were thinking to yourself, hmm, I'd like to start praying for a group of people and uh, a process that is uh, under which we'll be collectively living as Americans in this Biden administration. That might be a good office to be praying for, because uh, if Becerra is in fact confirmed to this cabinet-level position we are going to want to have a robust engagement with the uh, HHS.gov Center for Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. Um, so that because that's the uh, that's the point of contact that people of faith have um, with HHS uh, day in and day out. Now, uh, let's take a very brief break. Ben, when we come back, can we touch on um, the, the Do Not Harm Act? Uh, and um, and maybe a little bit um, uh, because we'd have to reach back and talk slightly about the Equality Act in order to move forward with the Dune on Harm Act. So let's talk about these, um, where we're at in the current state of things. That's with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute, and that's next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, um. Paul and Ben, talk to each other for a second because I get a cough. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, hey, Ben, uh, we're just continuing the conversation, and Carmen kind of set it up beforehand, talking about what is called the Do Not Harm Act, which is before Congress, at least the uh, the House. But
0: as she said, we need to back up and talk Equality Act first.
1: Yeah, so the Equality Act, of course, uh, is, is currently before the Congress, and that's what's getting all the legislative attention. Uh, that uh, of the two is by far the more likely to pass. It has about twice as many co-sponsors in the House, and uh, that is that is likely to pass. It did pass the House last time, but it did not get to the Republican-controlled Senate. Now that the Senate's 50-50, uh, the chances of passage are, are obviously greatly enhanced. Uh, the Equality Act uh, would amend the um, 1964 Civil Rights Act and say that it specifically applies to uh, same-sex and uh, to gender identity. So homosexuality and gender identity are specifically uh, included in that. And so that would obviously affect those who have a religious objection because the 1964 Civil Rights Act overrides uh, religious objections when it comes to things like tax exempt organizations. Uh, So that's that's an issue here. Now the Do Not Harm Act is like a quantum leap over and beyond that. Uh, The Do Not Harm Act is the most audacious legislative threat to religious liberty in Congress today. Uh, H.R. 1378 was introduced last week by four Democrats, Steve Cohen, Bobby Scott, Jamie Raskin, and Mary Gay Scanlon. Uh, Essentially what that does is say that uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act is basically a museum piece at this point. Uh, It does all that it can to restrict the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. In 1993, the the House passed the Religious Freedom uh, Restoration Act, or RFRA, uh, unanimously. Uh, It was co-sponsored, by the way, by Congressman Chuck Schumer, currently Senate Majority Leader, signed by President Bill Clinton. So this isn't a right-wing conservative act. Uh, This is something that was unanimous not that long ago. And it said that the government has to have a compelling interest and it has to use the least restrictive means possible if it's going to prevail against uh, someone, if you have a religious objection to something that's going on in the law. Uh, so it's it's strengthening the First Amendment protections, which have been weakened by several Supreme Court cases. Well, that history is being rewritten right now. Uh, the intention of the Religious Freedom uh, Restoration Act is being reimagined, and then this would gut it almost completely. Uh, for example, the Human Rights Campaign says that uh, RIFRA was designed to protect minority religious groups' constitutional rights. Well, this is sort of bootstrapping, to use uh, Becerra's term from last week, bootstrapping Uh, the idea of equity into Rifra. Rifra was not intended for any one specific religion or minority religion. It was for all religions, just like the First Amendment was. The First Amendment was designed so that people can follow their conscience and live out their conscience, and so that the government is restricted from doing anything that would harm uh, our ability to live according to our religious liberty and live out our conscience in every aspect of life. This would say that there are several areas that are off-limits to RIFRA. So when there's a a contest between government and unalienable rights that you possess, government legislation prevails, not your rights. Uh, This bill right now doesn't have a text, but we have the text from when it was introduced in uh, 2019 by uh, then Congressman Joe Kennedy. And uh, what it says is, first of all, RIFRA does not apply, and this is a quote, when it comes to access to information about referrals for, provision for, or coverage for any healthcare item or service. Now, of course, you know and I know that uh, when Congress talks this way, when they talk about healthcare, they include abortion in that. So you would have no religious right to object to, and again, access to, referrals for, or provision for abortion. So you have no religious right not to participate in abortion or euthanasia. Uh, Of course, the phrase do not harm comes from the Hippocratic Oath, which specifically prevents both Physician-assisted suicide and abortion in its very text. So uh, this is a reality-redefining bill in and of itself. But it would it would vitiate the First Amendment rights. Second of all, it also says that if you own a business, you can't do anything uh, that would that would cause a quote dignitary harm to someone. And uh, so any harm, including dignitary harm on a third party, uh, is not covered by RIFRA. Now. You know and I know dignitary harms, in the, uh, in the immortal words of Morris Albert, are feelings, nothing more than feelings. Uh, essentially, our constitutional liberties are being sacrificed for the emotional well-being of someone else, regardless of whether you uh, impose any actual problem on anyone else or not. So if you walk into a, 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 a cake shop run by an evangelical Christian or any other business run by an evangelical Christian, and you could get the exact same service next door— and it would not impose any harm on you whatsoever, but you feel like your feelings were hurt because they said, no, we can't participate in this because of our religious liberty, their religious liberty disappears. This is audacious. Uh, The entire intent is just to gut the First Amendment. And I I think the most revelatory thing was from the American atheists. American atheists said that uh, they were anything but coy about why they were supporting the Do Not Harm Act. They said, and I quote, Religious belief should never justify special exemptions from the law. That's the exact opposite of what the First Amendment says. The First Amendment says that the, the government should not in any way burden the free exercise of religion. This says that religion should never in any way burden the free exercise of politicians to regulate your life.
0: You know, Ben, the um, and thank you, Paul, for, <clears throat> for stepping in there. Um, it occurs to me that it's not just... Abortion access, or conversations about abortion, um, it's conversations about immunization, it's conversations about um, euthanasia, um, it's it's conversation about um, transitioning in terms of uh, gender uh, identity um, and the physical realities uh, related to that, um, or the or the drug therapies that might be used. I I just there there are so many areas where the where there are contact points between faith and health, um, I mean you know we would have conversations about the stewardship of the body and the the created order um, of god 's good design, and others would be having very different conversations and if you 're going to exclude um, people of faith from those conversations simply because they are people of faith um that 's more than a dignitary harm to people of faith like right so there there's a reverse or a um uh, there's a case to be made on the other side of the argument uh, people of faith are just going to have to learn to make it.
1: And it, it absolutely has to be made that uh, this is not the way that America has ever been understood. Uh, when it comes to our constitutional liberties, to the way that America was intended to be lived out, our Founding Fathers understood you have the right to live according to the, the light of your conscience, and in whatever church that may be, uh, you have the right to live out your faith and that, that doesn't end Sunday morning or Saturday morning or Friday evening, depending on which of the three Abrahamic religions you may follow. What's important is that you know, as soon as you leave the church, you're able to live that out in what you do Monday through Friday or Sunday to Sunday. So that's that's really important for us to, to understand is that religious liberty doesn't just include the right to say what we believe or to sing what we believe, it means to live what we believe. And any law that will try to take that away from us is uh, facially unconstitutional in my uh, opinion, but also uh, it's something that threatens the very nature and the very basis of what America is always intended to be.
0: Yeah, for those of you who are interested, um, the so-called human rights campaign is really the organization behind this, but um, but atheists are engaged as well. The uh, uh, FF. RF, remind me, um, the Freedom From Religion Foundation. We got all kinds of actors engaged in advocacy um, on this particular piece of uh, proposed legislation. And it's just one of those we want to put out there as one to watch. And Ben, we're going to trust that you're going to watch it.
1: Certainly will be. And uh, I, I understand we're going to be having probably many more conversations about this in the days and years <laughs> to uh, ahead.
0: All right. I, I got another conversation, though, that I need you to start working on. And that is the question of whether or not drones and small robots that apparently are now populating the streets of America are going to be le- legally categorized as pedestrians. It's already happened in Pennsylvania. And so I need you to get into this because um, apparently we don't even know what it means anymore to be human. Like they officially don't have feet. Like how they are not. Pedestrian, they, anyway, yeah, no, there you're, you go. You're, we we
1: laugh about it, but yeah, uh, believe me, this will be this will be settled law in the next four years if we don't. No, make I know we got, right, we got rice fields.
0: Right, rice fields yes. and rivers are already categorized as "quote unquote" human in some places, so that they can be extended human rights. So um, I'm going to need you to work on this one, and I'll send you the link. I can't wait good? for. I know, I know. I just creating work for other people, kind of, kind of fun for me. All right, that's Ben Johnson at the Acton Institute. You can find him at a c t o n dot o r g. One of my faves. We'll be right back.
2: <laughs>
0: All right, uh, indeed. The Saints go marching in today. We march forth. We're going to march forth with Kathy Branzell, who heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force. We are certainly going to uh, celebrate and get ourselves ready for the National Day of Prayer, which is two months from today, Thursday, May the 6th, 2021, is the National Day of Prayer. So uh, go ahead and not only mark your calendar, but find um, the group in your area that is organizing itself around and for the National Day of Prayer. We're going to talk with Kathy about that. We're also going to talk with her. about praying for and with families uh, who are really, really challenged right now. Um, So a couple of headline stories related to what families are dealing with and how we as brothers and sisters in Christ can be praying for them. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: Ever wonder if God's truly working in your kids? Or sometimes, does it feel like He's overlooked you? Hi, I'm Mark Greatston with Parenting Today's Teens. Let me offer you some fresh perspective. Maybe God is answering your prayers right now, yet it doesn't feel like it. But the team that's spiraling out of control in your home could be the tool God uses to grow your faith. Perhaps the conflict you're facing right now is the intentional lesson God designed specifically for you and your kids. So, determine right now to watch for the answer to your prayers coming your way. Don't lose heart. I promise, God's answering prayers right in the midst of your struggle. There's more from Mark Gregston on the Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store.
0: All right, joining me now Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer task force. Want to remind everybody the National Day of Prayer is 2 months from today, Thursday May the 6th. The theme, 2 Corinthians 3:17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. Want to invite you to check out the resources at nationaldayofprayer.org. Kathy, welcome back. Hi, good morning. Good morning. So many, many, many things to pray for about um, yes. over in these days i know that you um shared with paul that you've been you've been praying in anticipation of the jericho Chauvin trial in uh, yes. in the twin cities um just talk with us a little bit about how we pray with and for one another in the context of things that we know are going to be um difficult uh in terms of particular places and and things over which we 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 genuinely have no control
2: oh absolutely and um i I have had a coffee mug that a a gentleman gave me, a friend gave me that's got the map of Minneapolis on it. I keep it right in front of me on my desk as a prayer prompt. There's some, we don't know what we don't know. Um, Only the Lord knows every detail of all of these people's lives, their intention, the intention of their heart, how they think, how they've acted, how they acted that day. And so the three words that I've been praying over and over again, and we'll continue to pray throughout the trial, is truth, peace, and justice. Those three words, and not not my justice, not someone else's justice, not what I think happened, but that there will be an overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit, because wisdom, uh, you know, first comes from heaven, and that and that wisdom would provide truth peace, that people would remain calm, that they would think straight, that this would not be a knee-jerk emotional, uh, but it would be based on facts, based on truth, that there would be overwhelming peace for everyone just to remain calm and let the process take um, the journey, and that justice, biblical justice, real justice, true justice will be served. I love that. Um, thank you so much.
0: Um, and what a great idea to have a mug that has a map of your city or your neighborhood, your town, your state, the nation, and use it as a prayer prompt. I think that is a great idea. I am um, yeah. going to start doing that. Thank you. That is awesome. I'm, I'm, yes. um, there's some brain research uh, out there right now that is ongoing and developing. It It surfaces some ethics debates. Um, First of all, tell people why I would have thought of you in terms of a conversation about brain research.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I have to say, I enter this with some intrepidation. I am not a doctor. I want to say that first and (laughs) foremost. I'm not a doctor. But every single day, I read my Bible, I pray, and I read a neuroscience uh, college textbook, white paper, um, you know, something... medical journal, because I love, love, love how you can read about science and lay scripture on top of it and hear God say, I told you so. Uh,
0: Yeah. So this, so I know this about you um, because we, you've shared that with me before. And so when I saw this, I'm like, (laughs) I know who I, I don't want to talk to a brain surgeon. I want to talk to Kathy Branzell, Um, about what's going on here. So um, medical ethics is always an important conversation for us to engage in as Christians. Um, It's probably on the periphery of what we're thinking about most of the time. Um, Many people probably don't consciously think about uh, the way their faith bears on decisions that they are making when their doctor says, these are the options. Um, We don't often call our pastor and say, okay, the doctor has given me these options. Help me think and pray through these options um, and determine what is, you know, uh, according to the mind of Christ, the very best thing. We tend mm. to do whatever is like available, whatever is available. Well, now whatever is available um, are genetically edited non-human animals, uh, human non-human brain chimeras, human right. neural organoids, and living ex vivo human brain tissues, which means that researchers are actually developing human brains outside of human bodies and then saying, oh, you know what? There's probably some ethics at play here. Once that brain develops to a particular point, do we have to treat it as human?
2: Mm. Yeah. I mean, there are so many pieces to this puzzle um, in in deeming ourselves a creator, uh, in the thought of growing a human being, growing parts of human beings and also um you know even digging deeper uh any harm caused in the beginning in in the uh the creation of those parts of um of a vaccine of a you know a, on and on and on it's a it's a slippery slope it's a very slippery slope when all of a sudden you've decided to be god and um and although we love science and we love medicine, um, when you get into genetically this and um it, it's it's a very slippery slope when when you play God. And yet there are people who
0: have brain injuries and we want um there to be, you know, research that is in that area for their healing. Yes. There are people yes. who have degenerative brain diseases. Um, And we want there to be research in those areas. Um, I want that research to be, I guess, precautionary. There are others who would argue all precautions should be thrown to the wind and we should do whatever we can, like literally Mm -hmm. whatever we can. And that's where, you know, I just want to remind Christians, we need Christians in these research environments to be making the appeal for that which is human and what it means to be human versus just research of any kind in any direction to any extent at any cost.
2: Right. And and so, you know, and I've got a personal story in this, and, and maybe you remember that. But, you know, after having a brain tumor for 14 and a half years, um, I went through all kinds of experimental chemo. I was willing to be the human guinea pig um, if it was going to Yes, of course, um, help me, but then it, you 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 make that sacrifice for the sake of all of those who might have that same kind of tumor after you. If the doctors say there's no other choice, now we were very careful. We did talk to doctors. Well, how is this engineered? Well, what does this contain? Um, you know, what's the the um, creation line? You know that it goes through. What's the process? you know, making sure in each one of those cases, but, um, you know, before I got my miraculous healing, um, I had made a decision that I would be willing to do, um, to do a very experimental surgery because the doctor said, there's nothing more we can do for you. There there's nothing left, but to just make you comfortable at this point. But I was willing to, uh, you know, there was this experimental science, and maybe it would work or surgery, maybe it would work. But that was a personal decision that wasn't put upon me, there was no pressure to me. But I thought, if they could learn something by doing this surgery, that would save the lives of hundreds or 1000s of people after me then I was willing to lay down my life for a friend. Um, but that was a personal decision, and it wasn't being manipulated, and nothing was going to be grown in a lab. It was for the sake of learning and being better and healing others.
0: And now everybody listening knows why you have a particular interest in the area of uh, mm. neuroscience um, and mm-hmm. so, thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to, um, when we come back from a very brief break, I want to talk, uh, Kathy, about teenagers and mental illness. I'm, um, yes. this just been an incredible rise uh, across the country in, uh, in mental health issues among teenagers. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how to pray with and for those families and those individuals. That's up next with Kathy Brenzel from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. We'll be right back. Your plans. All right, continuing my conversation with Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Just a reminder, the National Day of Prayer is two months from today, Thursday, May the 6th. I want to invite you to the nationaldayofprayer.org, nationaldayofprayer.org to find resources, connect with others who are engaging. And if there is not already a National Day of Prayer gathering um, on May the 6th in your community, either in person or virtual, um, we'd invite you to become the person that takes responsibility for making that happen. Um, so check it out at nationaldayofprayer.org. Uh, Kathy, I know that this next topic is, um, is in your heart of hearts as well. Um, talk with yep. us about uh, the rise in claims of teenage mental health issues across the country, Um, What's the research or the data telling us about what's going on? And then how can we as a praying people engage?
2: Mm, Yes, this topic is very near and dear to my heart. As I had uh, two people very, very close to me, one my junior year and one my senior year of high school commit suicide. And, um, you know, the research is showing you guys are hearing it on the news. Um, This isn't an aha moment. Probably for most of our audience that um, mental mental illness, stress, and even suicide is up um, across the nation, especially in young people. This is as an adult processing the last twelve months, it's been difficult in so many ways. Um, imagine that as a kid as a as a young person with dreams. But having absolutely no control, no decision making, no, um, you know, just for for the people especially who have been quarantined and isolated for so long, you know, God told us it is not good for man to be alone. And this has been such a hard year for children and youth and young adults Um, because we don't, the younger we are, we don't have the experience to know this isn't forever, There are lots of things that we go through for now, for such a time as this, and we can choose to grow from it, to learn from it. So as we get older, we go back and we remember the wisdom that we learned, the experience that we had, that God provided. Um, And we can grow from that. Joy comes in the morning, uh, you know, so to speak. But uh, when you're younger, right now feels like forever. And it's hard uh-huh. to see tomorrow. And and um, so then there's a choice to make. So when my two friends um, uh, committed suicide, uh, my choice was, how can I keep this from happening to other people? And so I was the youngest member of a suicide prevention task force. That's the first task force I ever belonged to as a high schooler. And we traveled all over the state of Florida where I live to talk to parents, to talk to community members about the signs of suicide um, and the prevention. And I was able to say as a kid, don't add stress to my stress. So to parents, to youth pastors, to whoever out there, first of all, I would ask you that if you see any signs of this, any withdrawing, any um, and especially if there have been spoken words of harming oneself or desperation, don't ignore that. Uh, Somebody will say, Oh, they're just trying to get attention. Give it to them, give it to them. If they're giving you a cry for attention, then give them the attention, but not in a fight and not in strife, Um, be calm. And you and I, Carmen, have talked about my favorite four A's that every human being needs. So acknowledgement that there there are people in your business place right now, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, that people look right through. And they think, if I disappeared tomorrow, no one would care or notice. Acknowledge people, look them in the eye, smile, greet them. The second A is appreciate. Say thank you to as many people as you can in a day. Realize that other people make your life better. Other people make your life easier. Other people go into airport bathrooms and clean them. Uh, You know, other people cook your food. Other people hold the door open for you. Other people, you get the idea. Other people make your life better. Just say thank you. So acknowledge, appreciate, affirm. Your teenager especially needs to hear when they get it right. No mm-hmm. ifs, ands, or buts. Just affirm. People as people, first of all, they that goes back to our beginning conversation. They're created by God. Look at people and see the image of God in them and the purpose of God on them and affirm them in their journey. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, it's the blessing. It's the eulogy. We've, we've saved eulogies now for when people are dead, but God meant for eulogizing to happen on a daily and weekly basis within the family. And so look around and start affirming people. Here's what I see God doing in your life. Here's your giftedness. Wow, here's a special talent that you had. Oh, okay, so acknowledge appreciate affirm and the last one is affection and you and i talked a lot about love last month you know we're working through the national day of prayer task force through the national day of prayers a theme this year holy spirit pour out your love life and liberty i love that we're talking about life today all life we so many times think about life as just in the womb that we need to protect that life, but it's really womb to tomb and beyond um, until they step into the presence of Jesus. That's life that we want to protect. And and that includes people that are really struggling. Love them. Um, Don't turn them into a project. Don't scream at them. Don't lecture them. Don't preach to them. But let them know how much they're loved. And uh, that Jesus said, love one another As I have loved you, and I'll go back. The woman at the well, Jesus didn't give her a lecture. He allowed all of her hurt, all of the gook that was clogging um, and keeping living water from flowing in her heart, all the pain where she was hiding. She had withdrawn. She was sneaking out in the middle of the day to get water. But Jesus, knowing her entire story, didn't interrupt her. He just allowed her to let all that pain flow, and one of the greatest ways you can show affection to someone and affirm someone is just listen
0: amen let's add let's add uh, that as um we're gonna have four a's and an l acknowledge, appreciate affirm affection, and we're gonna add the l of love and the L of listen. So four A's and two L's. There you go. How's that? Love
2: listens. Yeah.
0: Love listens. All right, Kathy, um, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us. want to direct people to nationaldayofprayer.org to get your National Day of Prayer resources for Thursday, May the 6th. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right. I am uh, just aware that there are lots of folks listening right now who just need to be seen. They need to know that someone uh, knows that they are and knows and is concerned enough to be lifting them up in prayer. So let's do that right now. Let's lift one another up in prayer um, before a holy God. You don't know all the names nor the circumstances of everyone listening right now, but you know your own circumstances and your own name. So, um, I am joining you right now in lifting one another up before the Lord, that He would tend today to the needs of each and every person who's listening right now. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play music app. That way, you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.